I'm gonna let this guy introduce himself. Go ahead. All right, so my name is Gabe Goller. Um, I serve in the student ministry with these guys over here. Um, all right, I'm also a student at Noblesville as a high schooler, um, and I'm gonna be reading uh, Zechariah ver chapters nine, verses nine through 12. And we'll flip to that right now. All right, so it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout and triumph. O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt, I will remove the battle chariots, chariots from Israel. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea, and from Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners. From death is waterless dungeon. Come back to the place of safety. All you prisoners who still have hope, I promise this very day, that I will repay, repay two blessings for each of your troubles. This is important because this was written 500 years ago before, before Christ's death, and they also, um, they also, um, they also predicted that um, he, Jesus was going to come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Amen. So. Thanks, brother. Give give a round of applause. I, uh, I got to get away this past week with my family for spring break a little bit. And uh, during that time, uh, we as a nation experienced a lot. Um, in fact, we flew out on Monday night and uh, were reading headlines and news of the school shooting. Uh, we came back into town Friday on the heels of all the storms uh, that devastated homes, businesses, and took lives. And so it's against that backdrop that we enter into Holy Week. And the truth is, is that we have a hope that far outweighs what this world has to offer us. We have the hope of eternal life, the things that aren't of this world. And so as we enter into Holy Week, I just wanna pause and I wanna pray, pray for those um, that lost life this past week, lost things that are of this earth, uh, but I also want to remind us this morning that we have something that far outweighs those things. And that's the hope of eternity. So let's pray. Jesus, we, we come before you this morning and just are thankful. We're so thankful that uh, years and years and years and years ago, just as Gabe read, that there was a prophecy that was made about you that would come true in your life. Not just that one, there's, there's many of them. And the truth is, is that uh, those prophecies led to a person and that person led us to the hope that we have. And so we pray, we pray for those families this week um, that have lost loved ones as a result of something such as a school shooting. Pray for those who lost everything they've owned and even those loved ones through natural disasters. And Father, I pray that through those things, you would still do good, that you would bring glory to yourself, that you would point people towards 
you, Jesus. Help us to be encouraged today as we look uh, at this first day of Holy Week. Bless our time together and speak Holy Spirit for we're listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you just got to see Carter's uh, picture of his uh, newborn uh, baby there. And so that Carter having a child has been, made me think about our kiddos. You know, like, I, I don't know if this, there's this phenomenon that takes place when you have two kids. Um, but I, I remember when Amanda went from like, you know, zone to man to man. We had, now we had two kids. We each had responsibility. I took the boy, she took the girl, and that's how that worked. And, uh, and we always forgot the baby bag. But anyways... Uh, we, we, I started to think about that. When we had Taylor, man, it was like that first kid. And I don't know if you guys experienced this or not. And maybe it's just me and hopefully it's not just us. But anyways, when we had the first kid, we took pictures of everything. Okay. Like the, the first time he found his hands, right? The first time uh, he yawned. The first time we went to the grocery store. First time he met Aunt, Great Aunt Barb, right? The first time uh, that he took, you know, crawled backwards. The first time he took his first steps. I mean, we have, they're all categorized. They're all printed pictures. There's different albums for different months, uh, all the way up to like different years for our first child. And then we had Emma. If you look at the pictures based off of Emma's life, she was born, she got her first tooth, she walked, and she turned nine, okay? That's it. Anybody else? I hope this isn't just us, right? Like, I'm like, when did she start doing that? We have no idea. When did she, nope, I have no clue, right? The other day she asked me, what were my first words? I don't know. I don't remember those things. I could tell you your brothers. Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's a second child syndrome. I can't imagine my friends have like five kids. That fifth kid, he's not even registered, you know, in America yet. Has a social security card, like birth certificate, who knows, right? Like I, I just, so I, I think about that. You think about Jesus' life and I started to think through the lens of Jesus' life and like what it was like, you know, these scripture gives us kind of a snapshot of his, of his baby book. It'd probably be more like the second child, right? Well, we've got the story of Jesus' birth. Matthew and Luke tell us that. We've got a story about when he was 12 and got left in the temple, right? Like if you ever left your kid at Walmart, you're in good company, all right? Um, you have that snapshot, but you just have these different pictures of Jesus' life, but not a lot from when he was younger. In fact, we really don't have a whole lot of information about Jesus growing up until he reaches the age of 30. And even then, as you look at the Gospels, you see a very little that's told to us about even uh, Jesus' ministry for those first three years. What you, when you really get, right? And I started thinking about this. <laughs> this is just how my mind works. Like, There's no picture of Jesus with his little league team, right? There's no picture of Jesus in his 16th birthday. There's no picture of Jesus riding his first donkey. There's no picture of Jesus leaning up against, you know, uh, the tree that he created for his senior pictures. There's no those pictures. We don't like, this is how my brain works. What we have pictures of are the last 168 hours of his life. What we have a whole lot of pictures of. What, what was documented probably the most, if not the most, is those last week of his life, the week we're getting ready to walk into, the week that we call Holy Week. That's when we get the pictures. That's when we get the stories. That's when we start to piece Jesus' ministry together. 
And so as we look at that, and as we jump in this morning, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 21. Join me in Matthew chapter 21. But as we go there, uh, this, is, this is a recording of, of Jesus coming to Jerusalem. This will be the third time during his ministry years to visit the city. And this third time was, uh, spe- was specifically very, very important for us to understand. In fact, it's so important that what we see in Scripture, we know this from Scripture, we've talked about this before, repetition's a big deal in Scripture. And this story is one of four that is actually written about in all four Gospels. Next to crucifixion and his resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000, this one shows up in some shape or form or fashion in all four. And that, for us, should be something we take note of. It's important. And not only is it just important for uh, marking the beginning of Holy Week, there's so much in here that's so important theologically for us. I don't have time to unpack it all, and I wish I could because we could be here until late this afternoon. But I want to focus on just one specific thing, and it's the the exact uh, prophecy that Gabe read for us. Jesus came in riding on a donkey. This is what it says in uh, Matthew 21. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say that the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. Now, I want you to understand the setting of this, okay? Like, <clears throat> Jerusalem is, is not, uh, you know, on flat ground like Indiana. Uh, my family and I, we got to go to Arizona. Uh, we hiked. Uh, I forced my children to hike Camelback Mountain with me, um, and they did a great job outside of complaining the entire time, right? Um, we made it to the top. That's all that matters. Uh, and we ran out of water about halfway up. So, uh, but, but Jerusalem's about 20, uh, 2,600 2, feet into, to, as far as elevation goes. Camelback's about 2,700. And so it's going, you're going up, right? You're traveling a long distance up. And as I was thinking about this, like Jesus, all of a sudden as they're, they're getting close to Jerusalem, all of a sudden he is going to ask for what? He's going to ask for them to go get him a donkey, not just a donkey, but the, the colt of the donkey, the baby, and bring them to him so that he can run them. They, they have traveled to this point. We know Jesus traveled pretty strictly by foot. Right? There's a few times we see him get on a boat or he just walks across water. That's the way I do it. Right? And, uh, but he's not been riding animals like this at any point. And so he, he's gotten to this point. And all of a sudden, now he wants them to go get him a donkey. Like, we're almost there. If I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, Jesus, come on, dude. Let's just walk the rest of the way. It's right there, right? You know, my son, as we're hiking up Camelback, he would have used a donkey about five minutes in. Like, we hadn't even got off, like, the gravel path that's at the base of the mountain, to, like, from, like, you know, the parking lot to the, the mountain. And he was already like, I'm done, I'm dying, Dad. I'm like, we haven't even changed elevation yet, you know? Like, he would have loved to have a donkey at the beginning of this whole trek. Jesus asked for it at the very end. Why would Jesus ask for it at the very end? There's only one reason he would do that. 
Verse 4 says, this took place to fulfill prophecy. This took place to fulfill prophecy. Because you see, uh, here Jesus is headed to Jerusalem on Passover. Now, Jerusalem isn't a particularly huge town, uh, 100,000 people. But during the week of Passover, it said that, that every Jewish person that could would return to uh, Jerusalem for this festival. So it's just inundated with people. In fact, there's no way for us to really know how many people were there. But uh, some people who are smarter than me uh, wrote that Caesar Augustus actually did a census after Passover and found that there were um, over, oh man, I shouldn't do numbers here. Um, so let me look. Uh, 250,000 lambs that were sacrificed. And if you consider and just take the rough estimate, one of those lambs was for 10 people. I mean, that's two and a half million people that are in Jerusalem. Not just are they in Jerusalem, but this is Passover. This is like the height of uh, celebrations and, and expectancy. And so, I mean, it is buzzing. It is very, very electric when it comes to the spiritual things. And, and into that town is where Jesus rides on the back of a donkey. He comes in to Jerusalem and people are, have, they've heard about Jesus. They, they've heard the stories of this guy who's, who's healed people, um, who's brought people from uh, death to life, from being lame to walking, from not being able to see from birth to now being able to see. They've, seen, they've heard these things and, and here comes this man. And so of course, as you could imagine, the excitement is just through the roof. Because you see, I want you to understand this this morning because it's so important for us to understand this. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem on a donkey because he needed transportation. He rode in on a donkey because he was fulfilling prophecy. Because this is what God had determined for him long ago. This was the moment that was going to mark the beginning of a week that would change human history. This was the moment when it was going to be acknowledged that this isn't the king that they were wanting, but the king that they needed. This is the moment where it wasn't, I mean, listen, I would have picked a, a Clydesdale, right? <laughs> Simple Lance would be like, I'm going to ride on a Clydesdale. Look at me, right? Here I come, save the world. And Jesus chooses not just a donkey, but the baby of a donkey. I imagine his feet are dragging on this baby that had never been ridden before. And yet, why does he choose that? This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. He did it so that he could fulfill prophecy. Not just this one prophecy. I mean, he fulfilled lots of prophecy in the time that he lived through this week in his entire life. In fact, it said that there's over 300 prophecies that Jesus, 300 plus prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And so I started to try to grasp that, wrap my mind around it. And thankfully I found somebody who's more of a nerd than I am when it comes to this kind of stuff. And, uh, there is this professor from Westmont College who had his class calculate the odds 
Okay, catch this. Calculated odds of just one man fulfilling eight prophecies. Okay, now we know that over 300 are what Jesus actually fulfilled. 48 of those we know specifically to be messianic prophecies that he fulfilled, but just eight, okay? They picked eight random prophecies and said, one man, what are the odds that one man could possibly fulfill all eight of those? All right? So they came to the determination, I'm not good with math, uh, that the chances were one times 10 to the 17th power, okay? That is one in one zero with 17 more zeros, okay? I, I put it up here on the screen. There you go, right? That's the odds. One man just fulfilling eight. Eight, okay? Now, again, if you're like me, I like visuals, okay? That's kind of a difficult thing to understand because I don't even know how to pronounce that number. I don't even know what to do with that number, okay? Like, that's just a whole lot of zeros and commas. So uh, they did this study, and here's what they had determined. Suppose, okay, suppose that we took Texas. State of Texas. This is a half dollar. And suppose we took uh, as many half dollars as that number is, and we spread them over the state of Texas. They would cover Texas two feet deep, and then suppose that we took one of these and we put a red X on it and we tossed it into Texas, stirred the whole pot up, and then we took Gabe and we blindfolded Gabe and we set him at the edge of Texas and said, Gabe, you can walk as far as you want. Just don't leave Texas or walk into the water, right? Walk as far as you want. And then you're going to bend down. You're going to pick up one half dollar. Gabe has the same odds of picking up the half dollar that's marked with a red X as Jesus did to fulfill eight prophecies. Eight prophecies. He fulfilled 48 prophecies. He fulfilled 300 prophecies. And you're going to tell me that this was a coincidence? You're going to tell me that Jesus wasn't following the orders of his God who is in ultimate control. You're going to tell me he isn't who he says he is and he didn't do what he said he was going to do. Just think about that picture for a second. What are the odds that Jesus would fulfill? Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout and triumph, O people of of Zion. Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I'll just go ahead and give you a preview. You're going to want to come back next week to Easter because we're going to look at some of those odds and we're going to do a couple fun things with them as well. Okay. And we're going to look at eight specific prophecies about the last week of his life. So come back. But what I want you to understand is this. Jesus' entrance into the city was not a makeshift parade for a carpenter. It was prophecy being fulfilled for a Messiah. It was a moment that had to happen first for him to come in this form of peace, for him to come in this form of humility. And what happens? The people, as he comes in, they're so stinking excited. 
And they see this. And listen, the people would have known this prophecy. They would have known that. They knew who Jesus was. Now they knew this prophecy. Here they are being pieced together. And so what do they do? Verse six tells us, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. The crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazarene in Galilee. <laughs> There's just this absolute uproar. And I'm just going to be honest, I don't love the NLT version of verse 5. I'd rather have the NIV where they yell, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And I love that word Hosanna because over and over what they're yelling is this, save me. I mean, Hosanna, that's what it, save us, save me. We know that you are the one who's gonna say, save us. Over and over, they're yelling that to him as he's coming and as he's approaching. But I almost think too, what were they must have been thinking? Really, what were they thinking? Because you know what they wanted. They wanted a king to come overthrow Rome and so that they could be free again. They wanted their physical, their earthly issues solved. But what God had in mind, what Jesus was headed towards was their spiritual issues. The biggest gap that they had that they didn't know that they had. I mean, think about that. Here he comes riding in on a donkey. I would have much rather seen him riding in a Clydesdale, right? Let's go, Jesus. Let's take them out. Let's do this. We're ready to uproar, right? Revolt. And yet Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm going to ride in on a donkey's colt so that you'd understand that this is it's not what you think. It's not what you want. It's not what you think you need. It's what I know you need. Listen, these same voices a couple days later are going to be yelling again, but they're not going to be yelling Hosanna. Instead, they're going to be yelling, crucify him. Crucify him. We want Barabbas. Crucify him. It's the same people because, you see, this is, this is true of you and I too. We don't know what we need most. Okay, maybe you and I do know what we need most. But that's not often what we ask for. What we ask for and what we long for is just the things of this world to solve the small problems that we have. And so it begs this question as we enter into Holy Week, how are you approaching Jesus? You've heard this said before. Like, what are you praying for? If, if God said yes to what you've been praying for this past week, would the world have changed? If you really were longing for that, which Holy Week signifies, how excited would you be? Would you have come in here this morning uh, shouting and singing in a different manner than you did? 
Listen, this is my own heart. I come in sometimes and I sit over here and worship. This was me this morning. Let me just be honest with you. Those songs didn't hit that great this morning. That's for me. That has nothing to do with Philip. That's where my heart was. I think I come in longing for the, the deepest thing that I need to be solved to be solved in me, which is my sin issue. And so it begs this question, how do you approach Jesus? You've probably heard this before too, but it's just so good. C.S. Lewis would put it this way. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying a really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said that sort of things that Jesus had said would not be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says that he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, and you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open for us. He didn't intend to. See what C.S. Lewis is saying, that either we can call the events of this week that took place some crazy odds that one man got real lucky. Or we can call it what it is. That he is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And therefore, he deserves our utmost worship and focus as we head into this week. My ask of you this week would be to look at the prophecies. Look at the fulfillments. Study them. Remind yourself this week, as I do myself, that what we celebrate next Sunday wasn't a coincidence, wasn't an accident, wasn't some crazy guy who walked this earth. It was the Messiah, Jesus, who was sent from God to live a perfect life in our place, to fulfill prophecy, not one, not eight, not 48, but over 300 who'd be buried and in three days' time defeat death, rise from the grave so that you and I could experience forgiveness of our sins. You and I could experience a relationship with God. You and I would carry with us the hope of the world. Jesus, thank you. Thanks for being misunderstood. Thanks for investing in 12 guys that just couldn't quite get it. Thanks for choosing to ride into Jerusalem on a, 
on a colt when you had all the power of heaven in your hands. Thanks for remaining silent. Thanks for being accused of something you didn't do. Thanks for going to a cross. Thanks for looking at another man and, and promising that he would be in paradise with us. Thanks for defeating death, something that we can't even fathom. Thanks for rising from the grave. Thanks for coming back to be seen by over 500 people in your resurrected form. Thanks for sending your Holy Spirit so that we don't have to do this life alone. Thanks for continuing, continually meeting us with grace and mercy in the midst of our sinfulness. And thank you, Jesus, that one day you will fulfill yet another prophecy when you return to bring your kingdom here on earth permanently for eternity. That's our hope. Would you help us by your Holy Spirit carry that hope high this week as we head into Holy Week? And would you remind us daily the decisions that you made led you to the cross, decisions that we can make to lead ourselves closer to you. Jesus, we love you and we thank you this morning. It's in your precious name we pray, amen.